Welcome to In Him with Pastor Dan Wormuth of Joplin Family Worship Center, located on East 7th Street in Joplin, where they are passionate about sharing the freedom and forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Now, here's Pastor Dan with this week's edition of In Him. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. And today, we sow a significant seed for a significant harvest. I ask today, Lord, that this house would be a house filled with such abundance that we are going to be an example of a house filled with faith and filled with purpose and filled with vision and operating in provision. And that means every household walking in abundance. So I thank you for increase for them this day. And I say that the time of the harvest is now. Say not that it's four months. It's now. In Jesus' name, amen. We declare health and healing in your bodies today. In the book, we read scripture early on in the series. In 1 Kings, David drew near to the end of his life. It was time for him to die. Wasn't that beautiful by Joe? Thank you, Joe. I'll let you go by your wife for a while. Thank you for being with me there for a minute. Stirs me up. So, in 1 Kings 2, verse 1 through 3, we read that David was getting close to the end of his life. He called his son Solomon and he charged him. It was more than just a, I've got a few thoughts here before I leave and maybe you can take some inspiration from it. No, it was a charge. Some of my favorite things to do is to read the words of our founding fathers who before their departure from this world, they would on their deathbed finish their last will and testament. You and I have not thought much about what that means, but a last will and testament are two things, not one thing. Your last will is my will as to how I want my resources to be expended or given. And testament was never supposed to be about your cash or your property, but your declaration of your relationship with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Your last will and testament Your testament should be upon the faith that was preached to me by the gospel and my life in Christ. I now testify in this document that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? We've not thought about that because we've not read enough of those who lived it. Their last will, how you disperse what I own, and my testament, my testimony of my personal relationship with my heavenly father through his son, Jesus Christ. That was always the intent. It's been a, a, just one of those favorite things for me to read the documents where the last will and testament was communicated. I have in one of my forefathers, in my own family lineage, I had the privilege of recently reading a portion of a last will and testament. And in that last will and testament, he was dispersing to children and he had some children that fussed with each other. So he said this, 
not giving the majority to his son, but he gave actually half to a daughter, daughter that was number three in the family line. And then to the others, he dispersed portions. The firstborn got a, a, a quarter of, of his resources and the other members, um, the other quarter. And then he said this, if any of you children afflict my daughter, so-and-so, he named her, I can't remember her name, then all that I have given to you will be removed from you and given to her. So there was such a breakdown in relationships that he put some strength to it that if you in having received this my will these my properties this my whatever I'm giving you if you afflict this daughter you will lose it all the authorities will come and take it from you give deed of the land to her and then there was a few more expressions of his gratitude for life I thought to myself, you know, you and I, we have siblings fighting over properties some days, but when's the last time you heard of a parent just saying, y'all are going to behave yourself, you're going to walk right, you're going to do this, or you're going to lose what I'm giving you. I know nobody said amen to that. They, I'm thinking your testament should be that your children would know the Lord Jesus Christ and your will should be so strong as that if y'all do fuss about it, I'm going to give it to a stranger I met two years ago. And Kings think that way. Gentlemen, the king pillar is a strong pillar. They think in those terms. They think in terms of how do I establish something that would be substantially able to live beyond me. So when he gave the charge to his son, he said, now I'm going to go the way of all the earth. Therefore, prove yourself a man. He, go around, he went on to say, keep the charge of the Lord your God. So his testimony first is, keep the charge of the Lord. And then he says, his judgments, his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all the way that you go. Can I get an Amen. What makes a man a man? We looked at that. We talked about four pillars of a man's heart. I would like to remind you, the king pillar, the warrior pillar, a mentor, and a friend. We began with looking at Camelot. We talked about President JFK and his family and how so many people just thought we had arrived as a nation. We now have our own royalty. Because we understood where we had come from in leaving the tyranny of a monarch and finding independence and establishing a new expression of government um, as a constitutional republic. If you've not heard that word before, you should have. You should go back to school and somebody should have a conversation with whoever didn't tell you that. We live in a constitutional republic. It's a democratic form of government, but it's a constitutional republic. As long as you are willing to let the mob rule, the mob will rule. And right now the mob is throwing a fit. And that's why we had to pray today. We thought that maybe Camelot had come and then a horrible bullet on a November day 
shattered the dreams of the possibilities of having something that might have looked regal and royal for us as a nation. In all of Lyndon Johnson's, um, sorry, in all of his New Deal and all of his thoughts of trying to placate to the voices of people, there were some underlying things that you should know that LBJ did his very best to shut the pastors and the churches up from having a voice that would affect our, our nation in a positive way. In some good things that it would appear he did, there are some things that he did that wasn't good at all. And he turned loose the hounds of the treasury to try to keep preachers from saying things in the pulpit to remind people that we are a constitutional republic. It wasn't just a bullet on November, in November, that shattered the dreams of people looking for regal and royal leadership. It was his actions in many ways and those following him who would turn loose the IRS to shut down the possibilities of anyone having a dissenting voice. You and I must pray. We must stand strong. We must take this prayer directive that we got today from Brother Allen and understand it is very important to pray that our nation would remain or move again closer to that which was intended by our founding fathers. We learned last week how a man is called to walk in masculinity. We learned that the king pillar of a man's heart is one to be strong for his wife, not strong again his wife. We learned that true leadership in the home, according to God's word, is that the husband is called to provide leadership. The reason why we have many struggles in marriages is because the husband has been a tyrant instead of the benevolent king that God had called him to be. We learned that men were called to lead in relationship. We learned last week there's no such thing as mutual submission. We learned that there's submission in the Godhead between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we learned that in the home there's supposed to be specific submission to authority. The man should be a representation of a loving Savior to his bride and to his family. We learn that you can't demand you obey me as a man and be a man. I'm preaching better than I'm hearing. We learn that there were biblical feminists who were trying to create a new mythology concerning how we relate to one another. We also know that the reason for that is because of brokenness in relationships when girls and boys have been injured in a household that's been filled with anger and rage and tyranny, there's always an overarching reaction to that. I will now have to protect myself. Therefore, I will not allow a man or a woman to be in my life in the way God had planned. And so today, we come to that moment of how we walk in that relationship with one another. I mentioned some of these to you last week. I want to read them one more time to you this week. You can use your grease lightning ink pen. 
or your thumbs and use your devices. In essence, we discovered last week, in essence, a man must, one, serve and sacrifice for the good of his wife. A man must serve and sacrifice for the good of his wife. This is why a man's called to lead serving, lead by serving his wife and not demanding to be served. It works when we do it God's way. It doesn't work when we don't do it God's way. You can argue with me. I don't have to fuss back. Truth bears forth. We as men are called to serve and sacrifice for the good of our wives. A man is called to lead by serving, not demanding. Number two, the second thing a man is called to do is point his wife to Christ. Not demand something and say, Christ told me to tell you, you have to do it. No, because anytime a man points his wife to Christ, he's going to also be discovering the power of the Savior, the healer, the lover of our soul, the friend that he is. The very nature of Christ is good. God is good. Number two is point his wife to Christ. Number three, make the most of his wife's strengths. When we as men are weak, when we are in feeling inferior, behaving inferior, when we as men just are not holding strong the king pillar in our heart, well, then we don't utilize and make the most of the strengths in our wife because we feel somehow intimidated by her abilities. Then we want to minimize her. The wife's role is not number two. She's standing there with you, sir. You are the first among equals. The submission, though, process that we talked about last week is yet in place. We just understand that with leadership comes responsibility and accountability to God for how you led and blessed. So the wife has strengths. A godly leader doesn't try to demonstrate his own superiority. Gentlemen, instead, we bring out the strengths of our wife, and a man needs to treat his wife like a fellow heir, not a maid or a child. Have you ever seen those guys who do that, treat their wife like she's a maid? Sometimes we get up with a dumb head in the middle of our gun smoke and we don't want to hear her say, I'm overwhelmed with this house. Thank God today there's a button you can push and it'll pause everything and you can get up and you can let your queen know God is good and your hands will help. I only hear women giggling. I didn't hear a single man go, oh, thank you for the clue, Pastor Dan. I didn't hear any of them say that, but number four. A man takes the responsibility to initiate a healthy spiritual environment. It's not her job. Well, she's the sensitive one. Get a clue, dude. You're the king. The wife will set an atmosphere in the house if the husband doesn't. It has a two-edged sword. It's something like this. There can be peace if you do what I've asked you to do. 
take responsibility, gentlemen, to initiate a healthy spiritual environment. It's the man's responsibility for his wife's spiritual war, welfare. He's to be a warrior. We're going to talk about that later, but her welfare. Ask her, what's God saying to you, honey? What is it, what is, what is it he's whispering into your heart? What, what is God initiating in your life? How can I help you fulfill the call of God in your life? I can only preach from example, and my father is the most beautiful example in all of my life. He saw the call of God on my mom. When my mom got saved at 13, she told the pastor, I heard the Lord call me to be a pastor. But she was in one of those churches that didn't believe in women being pastors. And so he said, no, 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 honey. That's the call to be a teacher. He's called you to be a Sunday school teacher. So my mom said, okay. So she got involved with the Sunday school department and ultimately became a Sunday school teacher and she enjoyed doing that. But when my dad, who was full of the Holy Ghost, (laughs) one day saw there was something on this woman he had married beyond just the strength to bring forth sons into this world, but there was something about this anointing on her life, he began to nurture it. He called her to speak at certain times in the course of the month and be involved in ministry. He nurtured the call. Nurtured the call. It's a good thing because when he was called home far earlier than what any of us wanted, mom had already been walking in a relationship with him as a co-pastor and she was able to continue the work. Laying block building congregation and building a physical location for the congregation to worship in. And then there came that moment several years later when the Lord spoke to my mom and said, it is now time for your son. She nurtured that. And our brother Mike Wormuth would become the pastor of the church. Congregation overwhelmingly said, yes, we see the same thing you do. And they all voiced with their holy, their holy declaration, and he became pastor there for over 15 years. When you are led by a husband to mature and nurture spiritual things in the wife, she yet has a capacity and an anointing beyond maybe even what she would have had. But with this wonderful example of my dad, my mom was able to nurture that, and Mike had come to that point of accepting that call. And did a great work. Today, Jared Ingle pastors that church that Wormuth's pastored for numerous years. Doing a great ministry there. It's just amazing to see how God just brings a shepherd to a house. But there was a dad and a mom speaking into the life of a child. Reggie, your mom and dad were nurturing the call of God in your life for years and years and years. And it developed to the point of you walking in the, all of the journey that you have. I, I look around this room and I see preacher's kids and I'm just thinking about how our parents nurtured us and how we had fathers who had the ability to do that. Number five was for us to meet those needs of our wife, those flowers, not just on special occasions, on just the occasion can I have an amen to be gentle to remember dates to remember important dates as well as oh did you know this was 
give your wife some extra candy day. It's going to be a new national holiday. I've sent a, a request to our congressman, but it's called give your, are you hearing me? It's the sensitivity to just bless minister, be sensitive to her. Don't, don't expect her to be the only sensitive one. That was quiet again too, but I'll just go ahead and move on to number six for you men so that you can know that number six is find ways to express your masculinity. Well, I do that every morning, Pastor Dan, when I'm getting dressed, I I show my wife my beach ball. And then sometimes I tell her it blew out of my hands and the wind took it that away. Yeah, that's lovely. If it floats her boat, keep it up. But mature men practice those manners that are associated with masculinity. Real masculinity is being a gentleman. Opening of the door, seating the wife. Number seven, don't take yourself too seriously. I know I talked about some of these, but it's important to see them one more time. Don't take yourself too seriously. I do that. But God gave me two sons. I won't call their names, but their initials are David and Zachariah. And they have the ability to make me to laugh. Sometimes I look at them when they are mimicking or, oh, what's that? Um, Not mocking. Um, No, I like to say mocking, but imitating me. I know their heart is not to mock me, but when they think they've got me, they've got every one of my answers They've got every one of my answers down. They do it. Zachariah, he can have an entire conversation as if it's me talking to mom about something and I never have to talk. He just has them all down. And David and him have this unique way of just making me not take myself too seriously. Even when I seriously want to get upset about how right they are about it, then I either laugh in front of them or I just give them a look and go to my bathroom and have a laugh so they can't hear me. There's just something about not taking yourself too seriously. But number eight was recognize that they, that wife, that lady, gentlemen, You're going to make mistakes and she's going to make mistakes and be humble. Keep your words sweet because you always have to eat them after a while. So we learned that only a strong, stable spirit can afford to be gentle. Weak-kneed men are bullies. Weak-kneed men are bullies. Bullies throw temper tantrums. They're weak. Jesus was meek. It's what made him strong. He had the ultimate power. If you know who you are, you can stretch your hands out and be crucified on a cross because you know you have a mission. So this look at the heart of a king that God has intended for a gentleman, you and I to walk in, for us to thrive. That heart that beats on the inside of your chest should be with a desire to be a king in your house. I'm going to protect. I'm going to, I'm going to lead. I'm going to love. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh a lot. Can I have an amen? So I'm going to laugh more. I'm going to watch more 
um, Three Stooges so I can hear myself laugh and not be shocked when my, when my sons make me look like I love them for it. It's just crazy. I, sometimes I can't even answer, and Zachariah has already answered it. It's just hilarious. Don't get on him about it. I'm just telling you that I can't take myself serious. They have done a good job with that anointing. They're men. Have you noticed that men have a way of helping other men get over themselves? <clears throat> I hear women saying amen, but I'm wondering if a man, how many of you men know you got friends who know how to help you get over yourself? Yes, Terrence was saying, yes, yes, Lord, I have an anointing to do that. And I won't name which friend, but his initials are <laughs> Isaac Norman. <laughs> and Isaac dishes it right back. And what's so fun is to watch these two sons uh, and brothers just give one another a hard time and laugh. Because they're not, they don't hate each other, they love each other, they want good for each other. You have to just help one another. Can I have an amen? I sometimes call Larry Lawson Ninto. Ask him about it. He'll tell you why. <clears throat> I do it when I think he's in a good mood, though, because he, he's such a blessing to me. The heart of a king, I want to ask you to write something down. The heart of a king is a provisionary heart. Gentlemen, I'm asking you to understand that God has called you to walk with provision for the vision that he has set in your life. A man is intended to be the provider, yes. Now, I know there are many times where, a, where the wife in the relationship makes more than the man. That's not a problem. The point is, is that a man is called to do his part. Even if, gentlemen, you are at the place of retirement, your provision is not just the bank you know, going to the, the bank and cashing that check you made in your life earlier. It's what else are you doing that helps provide in the vision of the ministry of the home? I, I know some gentlemen who retired much earlier than their brides. The brides are still working nine to five, but when they come home, that man has already made dinner for her. The house looks great. He's provisionary. Did you hear me? I'm not, I'm not trying to speak to a, a man has to do something uh, that kills him uh, when it comes to working. I'm talking about he's provisionary. He understands that his providing is much more than just his check. Thank you for listening to In Him with Pastor Dan Wormuth of Joplin Family Worship Center. Listen to this broadcast again at KNEO.org. You can also download a podcast version of today's message by searching KNEO on iTunes. Joplin Family Worship Center is located on East 7th Street in Joplin and has ministries for all ages. They invite you to join them this week for Sunday morning worship at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Find out more at jfwc.org or facebook.com slash Joplin Family Worship Center. Follow Pastor Dan on Twitter at Daniel H. Wormuth. Thank you for listening. And remember, in Him, you are free.